Yo, how are you doing, folks? Welcome to episode 88 of the Simple Life Podcast. And you may have recognized that I was not here last week. I took an impromptu week off for my birthday. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I uh, managed to get away before all this horrendous sun, although I suppose it depends on your temperament and your outlook and philosophy on weather in the UK. But I'm in this tiny square room today and it is boiling already. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to segue on to today's guest and get on with the show. Uh, today's guest is a repeat appearance. Try that again. Today's guest um, is on for their repeat appearance. Uh, it was originally on as guest number 33, this being episode 88 and 55 between. There's quite a bit of numerology there for any of a you astrologically aligned folks. Um, and today's guest is a medicinal cannabis campaigner and the mother of young Murray, a young Scottish boy with intractable drug-resistant epilepsy who has been seizure-free since June 2019 thanks to whole plant cannabis oil. Uh, they have also recently founded, along with three other parents, the charity Intractable UK, which is a charity set up to help families with medicinal cannabis prescription costs for loved ones with intractable epilepsy. They are Karen Gray. How are you doing? Hello. Happy birthday. Billy, it's happy birthday, oh. by the way. <laughs> Thank you very much. I was going to say, it's, it's interesting because I don't think I've signed back into Facebook much since. So I just keep getting notifications for like over a week of people sending birthday messages because <laughs> they're seeing it on the wall, on my wall or on the timeline. So I'm enjoying having a week-long birthday, so I'll take that. Quite right. <laughs> so how have you been? As I was saying in the intro there, it's been a good 55 episodes uh, since we last sat down to catch up. Yep, more evidence of um, cannabis helping people as well, you know, <laughs> then back to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Murray's no. great. Murray's doing fantastic. Um, amazing. Really amazing. It's really. excellent to see see on the pictures uh, that you, you put on the, on the Facebook and your Twitter pages of uh, the comparative pictures. I mean, wow, the the light, the colour, the fullness in his in his face, the cognitiveness the cognizance the the awareness is is is, is really there it's it's inspiring to yeah see. it's amazing and it's horrible putting the pictures out you don't want to i want to bury those pictures i never want to look yeah. at those pictures ever again i want to forget that ever happened but how can we when you know when we've still got so much to sort out you know we still need to get these prescriptions through the nhs so yeah mm. just have to keep pushing on and highlighting the difference and the real change that the cannabis can make. Because it's, it's also, uh, it's something that you've, you've championed for quite a lot, obviously is this, this whole plant. Um, there's, there's quite a lot of different parents in different sort of uh, predicaments and situations around the, the, the United Kingdom at the minute that are in different areas because of the nuance of different uh, types of epilepsy of the catchment areas that they fall under. Um, but so, where, where, where are you sort of in in the, this this picture with things right now? Obviously, having this real progression over, I mean, what is it, twenty nineteen? It's three three years in a, in a month. That mm. is phenomenal, a phenomenal amount of time to be seizure free, and that's whole plant um, medication. So, how have you progressed with this journey since last we spoke? Um, I think we discussed previously an intervention with Epidiolex, but what is currently Murray taking, uh, and what have you found sort of most effective? Yeah, Murray still takes the Dutch oils. That's the oils he's always taken, the Bedulite and the Bedica um, from Holland. Um, luckily, they are getting, well, the Bedica's getting made in Glasgow now. Um, they came to agreement with the pharmacy in Holland. The, the pharmacist is coming over. They've got it all set up and they're making it here. So that's good because there was, there was a problem with Brexit. We were going to have a situation where we weren't going to be able to get the oil. So it's really good that the importer stepped in and now they're making it, you know, so we can still access it. So 
although, yeah, it's, it is good. It's good for Murray. It's good for all the, the kids that are on this oil. means they're not going to have to come off it, but we are still having to pay. Um, and since the last time I saw you, well, it's pretty obvious that the NHS aren't going to give us prescriptions. doesn't matter how much we shout, even though they are prescribing it to three kids in the UK, and even though two of those kids are getting the same oils as Murray. I mean, you know, it is ridiculous. It's not fair. How can they prescribe it to those two kids and not Murray and the rest of the kids? You know, it's, it's shocking. So me and three other parents, we decided to set up a charity. It's something I have had in, in my mind. Um, and we decided to set up this charity on Tractable to actually fundraise and pay for these private prescriptions to give the parents a break. Um, some of them that are fundraising, they can't, you know, with the cost of electricity and everything going up, everybody's finding it really, really hard to fundraise. And, oh, it's, the, the NHS won't give you any options. You know, it's a case of, I mean, I know one boy that they're saying palliative care. I mean, that's end-of-life care. And they're wanting to do that rather than prescribe his cannabis oils. I mean, that is just nuts. Absolutely nuts. So, yeah, that's what we're doing just now um, in Tractor. I must give Joanne Griffiths a major shout out. She's done so much work setting up this charity. Like, she's a superwoman, honestly. Um, she's just cracked on and done so much. She's amazing. And she actually designed our website as well, which she'll, <laughs> I must say that as well. Um, she's done amazing. Um, but now what we're really concentrating on is just trying to fundraise. Um, we've like contacted places like the Lottery, loads and loads of different places to try and get lots of funding. Um, the Charities Commission, I mean, it took quite a few months, but we couldn't like, so pleased that the Charity Commission's accepted, accepted the charity for what we're doing. We're basically paying for cannabis, you know, paying for these prescriptions. And it's great that they are, you know, they've given us our charity status to allow us to do that. And so they should. But, um, yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating because, as you see, you've got such stability. You've got now the continuity of the product being produced in country. I mean, how is the, uh, without prying too much into in, in your personal amount here, uh, the costing difference from the product being produced in the UK versus it being produced in Holland, is it similar? It's exactly the same price, exactly the same price. So, I mean, yeah, I do think, you know, the, the company's obviously spent a lot of money getting all this equipment in to make the oil. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, not really good it's the same price, but I, we can't complain. You know, they've stepped in and they've actually helped out by yeah. being able to maintain, our, maintain us getting this medicine. So, you know, I'm grateful to them for that, really. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, understandably. Um, it's it's frustrating because I'm obviously quite famed, I suppose, to be quite anti-capitalist, or I suppose historically quite anti-capitalist. And yeah, currently, I suppose, as well. I mean, I'm wearing a T-shirt that says, unfuck the system currently, so I think that gives a, a bit of an indication <laughs> to my, my current in, uh, insight into my current uh, inclinations. Um, but it, it just feels shitty to me that in a neoliberalistic society like the United Kingdom, that we can't figure out a way to actually use the evils of neoliberalism and free markets to open this up. I mean, how many other children with similar conditions would benefit from this exact formulation of oil? We're starting to see, I mean, it's, it's not just being people from the UK. We've seen families from around the world that have traveled to Holland mm -hmm. to get access to these Bedrolite products. And then when they do, they find them to be superbly effective, like yourself, from 
multitude of seizures to zero to years of consistency and continuity, being able to the, give the child the opportunity to you know regrow neurological pathways to allow the body to actually reheal itself, to shape, to grow, to prepare for puberty, to you know to have a life, and yet. Mm-hmm. That narrative, that uh, anecdote you said before of this this child that they'd rather put in a palliative care, it sickens me that I understand the reasons why they've done that. Because if they give it to one, they have to give to all. If they give it to Murray, they have to give to all. Those three that were given were special discompensation to get their regulations. And this is entirely my opinion, folks. Um, that they moved through this to get the regulatory system in place that would allow their crony friends to profiteer from this, the creation of these privatized clinics. And they needed to then give these as ways to compensate the individuals that otherwise could be potentially disruptive to the creation of the current system that we live in. Again, Mm -hmm. I'll state that as my opinion, and I do not state that there was any malice on the part of these individuals. I think that a lot of us within this campaign for many years now have been misused, misdirected, have been filled with fire and fuel and sent off in different directions. And all I'm stating is that right now there's a certain cabal of individuals profiting exceeding amounts from this while the majority of us are left unable to access. So, yeah, I just, it boils my piss. That mm-hmm. I mean, so obviously I think we spoke last time of, this obfuscation of responsibility between the Scottish and the English governments. Mm-hmm. Has that resolved any further in the past 12 months? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The Scottish government say it's a drugs issue and it's up to um, you know, Westminster to sort. But it's not really. It's a health issue. It is a health issue. You know, so, but they, they just, they won't, they won't budge. I do think as well, you know, they're going on about trials. And although it's Scotland and England, we have our own guidelines, sign guidelines, which basically replicate nice guidelines down south. Mm-hmm. So it, we we can't really we can't really do anything because we're all bound by these same guidelines, by these nice guidelines, and they want RCT trials, and they're never going to get RCT trials on the whole plant oil. They will on the isolates, and mm-hmm. fair enough, isolates do work. They do. I know a wee girl thriving taking CBD and THC isolates, um, but. You know, some of them, like Murray, he had a CBD isolate. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. It stopped working. You know, the whole plant was much better. And, you know, there is a place for isolates. Yeah, but there is definitely a place for the whole plant oils as well. Mm-hmm. And they can't do RCTs for that. So I don't know what they're going to do. And I think it, it almost needs, we're starting to see now that obviously cannabis doesn't fit into modern pharmacopoeia that if you actually then look at the creation of around the creation of say the hypodermic needle and then this kind of cult, global cultural move away from cannabis into kind of opioids uh, that we started to derive and develop from uh, opium which was a very stable drug trade for hundreds of years because we we weren't fucking with it it was yeah potentially dangerous same as anything else but it was it played its part within society and then the more concentrated these compounds became the more targeted and specific they could become for certain conditions. And I think probably was started with the best of intentions as most things are by humans, but then become corrupted by individuals seeking power, influence, money, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And so we now live in a system that exactly that only measures health outcomes by these placebo controlled, random uh, controlled trials. They need these blind and bound, binded uh, controls and they want all of this other, uh, these mechanisms of ob- observation that does not work for the natural plant. 
There is mm -hmm. so many nuanced variances within the plant. I mean, there are hundreds of more compounds that we're just scratching the surface of. We don't even know if the, what we're screwing with now is we're prescribing for cannabinoids, but it could be a certain sequestered terpenoid that is the thing that's, that's, that's causing this. And again, I agree that isolates have a, have a position uh, and space within this, but what most people find is that isolates have an efficacy window. And then once a tolerance is built within the body, it decreases vastly. And then you're only getting really a small mitigation of some symptomology. Whereas then people that start with an isolate and progress in a whole plant and then, yeah, go into the legal gray area of exploring different cultivars and finding different profiles of plants that work for them. I think that's the best way to get the bespoke care. We cannot ever wait for the a multinational, potentially trillion pound uh, conglomerate of pharmaceutical companies to decide that, oh, it's worth investing the research and development of a drug for a condition that only 50, 100, 200 people have. Mm -hmm. That's never going to happen with cannabis. So there has to be this other avenue, mm -hmm. whereas these mainlined ones sort of, of conditions like anxiety, et cetera, that are highly prevalent within society, that's where the majority of the research is going to go because that's where the majority of patients, thus profit will come from. Mm -hmm. So it is, it is this terrible thing that we're bound by the guidelines that are supposed to conduct, uh, how, sorry, control and govern how they conduct their business when our natural relationship to cannabis doesn't need their involvement whatsoever. It should be a reporting yeah. system. Our doctors should be there to go, well, what, what did you do? What do you use? How do you regulate? What do you because we're starting to find that people are doing so much more these days. I mean, with, you look at all the protein powders, vitamins, minerals, the different uh, medicinal mushrooms uh, that people are sort of producing now, all of the different microdosing of current illicit compounds. You know, people are biohacking themselves in ways that we've never seen before, yet modern medicine is decades behind this. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I know. Mm. I know. And people are just using things themselves, obviously cannabis illegally and stuff, because... It's helping them or it's chilling them out if they're using it recreationally, you know, they're just relaxing or they need it medically, like they need it to stop seizures or to stop mm -hmm. Parkinson's shaking. And, but it's illegal. It actually drives me insane, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you can be healthy if you can afford it privately. If not, mm -hmm. tough. Just be disabled. Yeah. That's our government. Yeah. Or even the other side of it with these sort of card systems, you know, not to name anybody, but in terms of having to then poor comparison, get at me in the comments if you feel that this is a bit hyperbole, but the Star of David, <laughs> of, of having to wear a marker, of having to carry something that marks you out, that means that you need some form of special discompensation from the system. You need to be discretionarily allowed to operate and exist, which is a fucking certainty to me. Again, not to... I have a go at any systems or anything that's out there, but the very notion of that to me is repugnant. It offends my very core nature of everything I aspire for in this. And that is for in the same way that you can go and use the holistic uh, medicinal consumption of thousands of different plants and compounds around the world and face no criminalization. Yet with cannabis, you're not allowed to formulate that relationship. You're not allowed to independently cultivate a plant, extract it, find what's useful to you, and then utilize it how you see fit. 
how is a doctor that's never met you, never known you, supposed to be able to tell you how your endocannabinoid system works, how you should consume cannabis? It's 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 a farce. Like I said, the the scales have gone the other way. The doctors are drug dealers at this point. If you really look at it, that's frankly all they've become. They are pushers mm-hmm. for for the the pharmaceutical industry, and the consequences of this. Now, there's a few uh, anthropological studies I was looking at the other day. Can't remember why I ended up down this rabbit hole, but there is <laughs> there is one one group of thinking at the minute that currently suggests that the fourth largest cause of global death on the planet is the overprescribing of pharmaceutical drugs. Wow, <laughs> and that's again, crazy. Because again, we've been conditioned in this idea: if if you go to your doctor and he doesn't give you a script, if he doesn't give you something, oh, I didn't listen. That quacks, he's full of shit. He doesn't know what he's talking about. It's this transactionatory uh, relationship. That is, again, as a dealer, you're, you're, you're clucking, you're itching, you want your thing, you need your thing, you're craving that thing, you go find the thing to soothe the need for that thing. That's what most of these things become. If you look at SSRIs and stuff like that, people's withdrawal from them is seriously dangerous, seriously okay. dangerous. And so it's that same mechanism. If you then miss it, you have to go back to that doctor and get that script and get that script. How is that any different from a, a, a dealer, uh, a dealer uh, client relationship ultimately? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But again, like it's weird because I've gone to dealers that'll like bar bar staff back in you know old days, and you go oh, mm-hmm. cleaning the glass. What's your problem, pal? You got problems at home? How's the missus? You know, but honestly, you go around dealers to go pick up whatever it is that you you're currently choosing to consume as an individual, and then you have this kind of almost impromptu therapy session, you know, because a lot of people are, give a shit. Obviously, there's a lot of people who really don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. But I suppose that's a balanced metric across all aspects of life, really. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, again, contrast that back to that doctor relationship. Doctors really don't ask these questions. They don't ask how active you are, you know, how you're sleeping, how you're, you're engaging with life. You know, are you finding joy? Do you have hope? Is there love in your life? You know, do you spend time in nature? Mm-hmm. You know, all of these different things that actually are quintessential, I would say, to being human. Yet they're not interested in acquiring this info unless it's to then go, oh, you're depressed. All right, here's an SSRI. Oh, you're anxious. Here's an antipsychotic. Oh, yeah, oh, okay. Oh, oh, oh. And it's just waiting to hear those buzzwords that trigger condition. And then he runs through the index in his head and goes, I've got these three or four drugs. Which one should I give? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's immediately that problem solution is creates instantaneous feedback where, where people want this immediate relief and then they, they don't have the patience to wait a few weeks for tolerance to build they don't have the patience to go through different cultivars and so a lot of people are turning to cannabis and because of the medical establishment are being told that oh it's indica and here's sativa and it's thc and it's cbd and they're just completely making it so oversimplistic, removing the majority of the science and the the knowledge that we've spent decades accruing and a lot of these people are being left disillusioned and so it's again, they're harming their own customer base because then if they had a larger customer base, then the overall cost of all the products would come down, thus creating a larger customer base. It's, it's I don't understand how these capitalist systems are not run like capitalist systems. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's, yeah. It just, I can't get my head around it sometimes, to be honest. I'm like, you know what's going on? Mm. And it is right. Like, are they doing this? Like, they are doing it for money. It's why, what are they waiting for? You know, did, can they not suss out how to make money from it to legalize it for everybody? You know, I, think, uh, I, was, I attended Cannabis Europa the other week. And as I, I think I, I stated a 
come who the guest was I had on when we discussed this. I think it was guys from Product Earth actually. Um, and yes, still like the the air in there, the pretense, the intention of these individuals. They are entirely business focused, entirely all about the next quarterly profits. They understand the insides of fucking business. They know nothing about cannabis. They've co-opted our language. They've, you know, maybe dressed down and hidden amongst us and got a bit of information from us. Or they've read a couple of books like Jack Harris, but they don't know the culture. They've not lived as us. They've not broken the law. They've not grown a meter away from a high street. You know what I mean? Filled warehouses. They've not lived the lives that we have lived. They've not had that PTSD from the blue lights and the sirens. They've not had the consequences of their lifestyle criminalized the, the potential future of the rest of their life. And so because of that, they're putting all of this money and everything into these systems going, we just do it like all the other things we've done, guys. And nothing works because we just tell them to fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> Frankly, you know, I mean, I had this discussion again with the guys from Product Earth. We talked about the pots, the prescriptions, that the majority of people I talk to buy one pot, they then fill that pot. They're then happy to argue with the cop. Oh, yeah, it's out of date. Yeah, mate, but rah, 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 rah. And they're happy enough for that as their their defense. Whereas then the the people that are relying on these continual um, prescriptions like yourself, you're paying the brunt of these costs. Whereas these individuals are buying that one cheap tub and then going and spending hundreds, thousands over months on the the, uh, uh, legacy market. And instead, if they'd be able to provide products and service in the way that the consumers want. So if they could have combustion, if they didn't have irradiated products, if they did extracts, they could sell all of that to the, the lower conditions that are more people that can dip in and out with a bit of anxiety, depression, et cetera. You know what I mean? People that are not going to have serious ramifications from a drop in dosage. They could quite easily supplement yourselves. And there should be that within the system of going, well, actually, if we lean more towards like the American Californian model in the late 90s, where they deliberately allowed the corruption of the system by anybody that went in with back pain or insomnia or whatever um, to create more liquidity in that system that cheapened the access for the people that needed it for palliative care, for cancer, for for epilepsy, for various other conditions and ailments that were now being Mm -hmm. discovered to be beneficial from its medicinal consumption. And again, that is a model that should be looked at by these guys. I can't understand why. I mean, I've pitched for years now that the NHS should become a cannabis company, frankly. It should grow all the weed for the UK to the best spectrum and standard possible supply, all the coffee shops, all the clinics, all the everything it wants to. And it then has from that all of the extracts in the world that it could ever need, all of the research and data accrued back through that metadata analysis of all sales and transactions and through shared data within the clubs. And all of this would go towards progressing the awareness of cannabis as, as a, the medicinal use of cannabis and its potential usage as a, as a medicine um, decades, decades ahead of where we are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be good. Can you imagine? Yeah, NHS growing their own cannabis. I mean... That is the sensible solution, really, isn't it? To, to me, it is. I mean, why would to you me then? It is. I mean, let's let's look at a certain irony. Um, so, British sugar, for example, produces sugar. Sugar is one of the leading causes of death in this country. It is one of the leading causes of diabetes, of obesity, which are in of, of themselves comorbid with many more uh, other conditions. It is also the leading food source for the various types of cancer. Um, 
yeah, British Sugar, then you think of the impact and cost that that's going to have on the NHS, has then got a subcontract from GW to cultivate um, cannabis with the uh, excess CO2 uh, that it develops from the, the sugarcane production, from producing into uh, sugar, from sugar beet production, sorry. Um, so yeah, you think of the cost of that is then generated versus the, the medication that's then producing is being made into Epidiolex and, and Sativex, which is then being predominantly sold on foreign markets. So it's if we had that system of just basically if we just took that over if, if we just literally went in there with pitchforks and took the part of the thing over we got rid of the sugar thing reduced that right down we'd immediately start to tackle health problems in this country uh, which means we start to tackle cancer rates which means we wouldn't need as much uh, can cannabis within circulation anyway we could start to just use it prophylactically rather than having to use it uh, towards mm -hmm. palliative care etc you know what i mean yeah yeah, um, mm -hmm. yeah and so then you'd be selling that through the nhs on on prescriptions but then you'd be supplementing that with the excess sales of it to the adult market I don't understand why the hell we wouldn't do that. You could supplement cancer treatments, everything else. You would fund the NHS directly through the tens of, potentially tens of billions of cannabis because no, it's not just the drug cannabis in terms of the flour and the extracts. The product itself in terms of the fiber, the materials, do you know what I mean? That is invaluable mm -hmm. as well. So we could have oh, yeah. every, all of it, a nationalized cannabis industry that directly funds all government and public services. That's mm -hmm. that's my vision. That's too socialist and utopian for the current government and <laughs> Tory-minded individuals. But I see that as, as the way forward, ultimately, because we don't need SSRIs. We don't need the volume of opioid medications that we have and antipsychotics that we have when we can start to look at the plethora, the toolkit that, and toolkit that is already before us with MDMA, DMT, <laughs> psilocybin, cannabis, do you know what I mean? There are so many of these compounds that we're starting to see are unbelievably um, powerful and, and useful. But again, we're seeing the same thing that happened with cannabis, this co-option. So ketamine is a wonderful example. It's now, I think, being uh, moved up to a class B drug in this country, and it's seen as one of the dirtiest of dirty drugs. You know, people that do ketamine at festivals are looked down on the nose by other drug users. Yeah, if you go to Bristol or London, for six grand, you can get a ketamine infusion where they inject you and put you on a drip for ketamine. And then you do like three sessions, you do it with integrated therapy. And yet that's seen as the pinnacle of private healthcare. And as you can see, it's, it's the thing that's happening here, in my opinion, is class warfare. So mm -hmm. again, I don't think that they're going to allow a system of ubiquitous access for the lower classes, because then it somehow cheapens the, the, the miraculous miracle that is cannabis to the upper classes. Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. I know. It's what you said about Ketamine there, I'm sure that's what Murray had. That's yeah, Murray had ketamine, the horse tranquilizer. Yeah, yeah, he had that in hospital in 2018. They were trying to stop the status, didn't it? It didn't work. <laughs> so, yeah, you and, know, and, and again, crazy. that'll have been done as an off, an off label medication, yet you can't be prescribed in the NHS an off-label medication for the oils that are then being produced in this country. Procurement wouldn't be that difficult. You don't have to with the shell, 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 I can't pronounce it, shell, 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 I can't pronounce it. Shulgin, Shulgin <laughs> agreement, sorry, my <laughs> tongue got in my way terribly there. Um, and obviously the, the agreements between pharmacies honoring each other's prescriptions, obviously, yeah, post-Brexit, a bit of an issue. But now the product mm -hmm. is being produced in the UK, why the hell yep. that they can't seek to deal with this? I mean, obviously, I understand that the NHS is dramatically underfunded. It is being divested as part of decades-long um, plan to privatize and sell off its most profitable assets and leaving the rest of us in the lurch of 
some godly free service like they're kind of having these free clinics in America where you can wait days for, for accident and emergency care. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, we do not want to go down the American route at all. I mean, you know what it's like if dealing with insurance companies for your car. Imagine dealing with insurance companies for your health. Well, I don't know if I can get this brain tumor removed until my insurance company approves the funding. No thanks. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's scary, and that's that's what an unchecked cannabis clinic and prescription system in this country will lead to. It will lead to the destruction and dismantling pardon of the nhs and the nhs needs to figure this shit out there has to be individuals within those in, within that institution within the local trust that understand this that are starting to to see and hear these anecdotes they're starting to see this real world data and evidence emerge and wanting to move forward because there has to be an integration of this otherwise if we see cannabis becoming just another adult consumption drug like uh, alcohol we're going to miss its benefits massively and we're going to end up creating a system where its potential uh, problems are amplified you know cannabis the same as anything else in this world is not without its potential for dependency issues and if you then create a system like i mean jesus christ there's a russell uh, I can't remember his name. One of the comedians in uh, Brand Russell in, Brand. No, no, no. Russell, uh, stocky guy, gingery. Oh, I can't think of his name. But anyways, he was in a documentary called The Culture High, and he basically uh-huh. tells an anecdote in that about a woman that he found out about in his local town centre who was addicted to Krispy Kreme, Krispy Kreme donuts, and so she would buy <laughs> two dozen boxes in the morning and go and eat them in the woods. Like because oh she said the shame and the associate and that she was suffering in that dependent cycle. She felt she couldn't reach out. She couldn't get help for it. So she then felt oh. shameful and got into this, this cycle with it. So, so, so everything has these, these potentials, but then it's a, imagine having that issue. And then every petrol station you pull up to every supermarket, there's that fancy branding, that colors, that object. It's deliberately, the smell is wafted towards you. You know, you think of what they do with bakeries and the smell and all these other things, what they're going to do to try and increase their cannabis sales. If we, allow that system to wholly operate this do you know what i mean cannabis has to in some way be respected and honored and i don't mean that in we should all be shamans and hippies and rah 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 <laughs> each, each to your own what i mean is the conscious consumption in the same way that there is slowly an argument being made by quite a few academics for the medicinal consumption of alcohol because obviously now we're starting to recognize for all obviously the source don't hate me for the source here, folks, but the Bill and uh, Melinda Gates Foundation obviously released a study recently suggesting that under 30-year-olds, there is no safe consumption level of alcohol whatsoever, which obviously correlates to what we know with the World Health Organization's own reports for the past well, several decades that state that alcohol is a neurological toxin, a physiological poison, and a Schedule One carcinogen. Yet our society entirely allows it to exist in the way that it, it does. Yet then some people will Yay. social anxiety, myself included. Sometimes I will have one or two drinks if I'm in a situation where it's it's quite intimidating. Everyone else is on that sort of shit. If I can have a drink to hold with my joint, I'm cushy. I feel like I'm fitting in. Most of the time, I want to finish Yay. finish a drink. It's just to kind of not feel like why you why you're not drinking. Exactly. What is this? Like, I wasn't actually, one of my friends said that to me the weekend, why not drinking? And it was really annoying. It was like, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to drink, you know? (laughs) But it's so, that's, that's just the way it is, isn't it? Like it's socially acceptable to drink. If you're not drinking, you're like, why are you not drinking? What's wrong? But 
and it shouldn't be like that. Like, I actually had to actually turn around and say, you know, wouldn't it be good if that was like cannabis was like that? And it was a case of why are you not using cannabis tonight, you know? Because mm. <laughs> it's yeah. like less dangerous for you than what alcohol is, you know? Um, but each yeah. to their own, eh? <laughs> well, exactly that. I am not ever going to fight for prohibition. Don't misinterpret my words here, folks. Mm-hmm. I will go to bat for tobacco smokers. I will go to bat for alcohol consumers. I will go to bat for heroin consumers. If you use a drug and you are in some way stigmatized, demonized, or other otherized by the system, I will go to bat for you and fight for you because that's what I truly believe, that conscious consumption of any substance mm-hmm. is non-problematic. You know what I mean? In the ideal world that I see where we engage with trauma, we educate the youth. We don't have a blood sport of a capitalist system where the bottom half are fighting just to survive, where everyone has their basic needs met. You could sell heroin on every street corner and no one would ever have dependency issues. You know, people would try drugs. Don't get me wrong. And if you don't believe me, I know for all this different sort of study, look at Rat Park, Bruce K. Alexander's project, uh, when he put a load of rats because he wanted to challenge the misconception around uh, rats and addiction. And basically, mm-hmm. a few, few different people had put various compounds, heroin, cocaine, whatever else, into the water supply and given the rats two options, a water with cocaine or heroin in and a water with, with just pure water. And the, the majority of the rats in the cages consumed the drug until it killed them. And then Bruce K. Alexander came along and went, no, this is all entirely environmental. You've isolated that rat, put him in a cold stainless steel cage and given him two things to do. Drink water that just does nothing to him. Drink something that does something to him. Boredom, if nothing else, will drive that. This need for escapism, this need to to do something other than just sitting and feeling isolated and lost and fearful. Yeah. Um, whereas in Bruce K. Alexander designed uh, Rat Heaven, this rat park, and they basically had all of these tunnels, all of these textures and these, these spaces where they had uh, stimulation, they could have relationships, you know, the sexual and bonding relationships, they could have plenty of food, uh, there was enough space for everyone to house, had to be housed, and mm-hmm. the, the rats within the area had the same access to all of the drugs, and very few of them would uh, use them to the point of their own detriment. A lot of them would try them, but then what they noticed was regulation. So some of them, if they felt dejected or rejected, so if they were sexually rejected by a partner and another male came in and took that, that, that position from him, it's a very crude way of saying it, but you know what I mean? I didn't mean it actually in position. I meant in, um, <laughs> that situation, that relationship from him. Um, the image in my head there was horrible. Um, <laughs> But then uh, the, the rat would then self-medicate, that it would then, you know, what, deal with its pain by seeking comfort in these, these substances. And then that model, anthropologically and biologically, uh, scales up into to human society, that when we feel rejected and dejected, we go and we drink loads of alcohol or we end up drug binging and doing various behaviours and forms of escapism and ways to kind of pacify and deal with this mm-hmm. isolation or pain. And so it's weird that our, our society has had all of these studies for, for decades. I mean, even people like B.F. Skinner with behavioralism, even Pavlov and others, we were starting to understand in a very crude way of how traumatic cues create future behaviors. And those future behaviors could then become indicators of things like deviance. Uh, that's a, such an old school word. <laughs> or drug use or that, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. But we then, somewhere along the lines, it became more about the criminalization than the curiosity. You know, why are you, yeah. why are you using that drug? Why you, you you do too much? Why are you hurting yourself? Exactly. Like, you're obviously using it for to get, to cure pain, you know? Some, like, that is an addict. Like, you're, you're taking it because you're using it to hide something, to cure a pain. Do you know what I mean? And it is, it's an, it's, it's, yeah. 
it's, it's a health issue. It's a health issue. It's if you overindulge, isn't it really? It's medicinal. If you yeah. look at it, as we spoke of before with the alcohol thing, or even like some people with food or, you know, we all regulate in different ways and have our own oddities and quirks that make us the weird, wonderful people we are in that we'll kind of all do like weird things. Like, uh, I'm just trying to think of absurdities of stuff like, okay, I'll go, I'll just, I'll just finish this sentence and then, then I'll eat. And then you get the end of the sentence on the next sentence, the next. And you have these goals and these markers and these ways that you track your way through through life that are entirely unique to yourself. Yeah, there's crossover and convergence in, in intersections with others, but you are uniquely you. That's what makes you you. And then the way we adapt to these kind of traumas and, and these, these events within our lives, that is always going to be bespoke. So you can't have this one overclouding fucking rule for everybody that fits this. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? And I think this is why everybody's ended up with depression or with ADHD, anxiety, all this, or all these different neural, uh, uh, mental health disorders um, because they're not taking into consideration their lives, their oddity, their wonderful, beautiful weirdness. You know what I mean? We're all being told mm -hmm. to be ourselves and trying to express ourselves more and more, but then the, the cages, the bars and the matrix in which that we live is so rigidly outdated that it, it's, it's hard to express ourselves within this. And we're then told mm -hmm. that, well, you cannabis doesn't work for you because it doesn't work for these people and your experience is invalid because it doesn't work does it isn't their experience and it's just this constant bombardment of an erosion of our sense of identity which is then paradoxically juxtaposed to this blossoming identity of self you know what i mean and you yeah. see why so many people are just beyond frustrated trying to exist as themselves and now the i'd say the the worst drug that is causing the most harm in our society is this fucking thing it is killing me right now like honestly i find myself constantly just scrolling i've had i took a week off because my mental health started declining and i was literally having to go for drives and go out for walks and be in different places just so i couldn't touch my goddamn phone because all mm -hmm. I, I wasn't even looking at my phone it was like I was just watching my thumb go up and down and I could feel it at the back of my brain, just little drips of chemicals, just little bits of uh, pacification. Yeah, and it's just... I noticed that. Yeah, it's like, even like, for instance, what was it? I was looking, I wanted to pick up my phone to check the weather forecast, right? So, I mean, the really, really helpful stuff, but my, I had my phone charging and the fact that my phone wasn't there, I almost felt like, oh, you know, like, oh, it's not beside me. It's like, oh. <laughs> All I wanted to do was check the weather. I mean, it wasn't even anything, but yeah, phones are addictive. <laughs> the yeah. worst possible addiction. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, could you imagine an endless bag of crack? What that could potentially do to, to a person suffering dependency if that bag never emptied, no matter how deep they went in, no matter how much they packed that pipe. That's mm -hmm. where we are with this technology. There are no limitations but the ones we put on ourselves. And by the time we realise we need to put limitations on ourselves, we're fucked. <laughs> We're already, already too far down that that rabbit hole, and it's it's again it becomes hyper uh, addictive in a form of I suppose social dependency because it's one of the only spaces again we're allowed to express ourselves, be ourselves. We have our mm -hmm. own curated communities through the algorithms where we can actually truly express ourselves and feel free to not be judged or to be you know stigmatized or demonized for the way we express ourselves yet yeah. the same people will barely leave the house or will have social anxiety about leaving the house because they're not leaving the house them the person that they are their wonderful creature with all of their oddities and their loveliness doesn't leave the house this shell of a person 
this societal suit gets put on and go, oh, I'm going to act normal and play the game and move through life. And it's the juxtaposition between those two things. I think if we can bring them together and marry our ideal selves, who we believe ourselves to be, who we aspire to be, who we work to be, to who we project and actually are every day. I think if we could you know, unify those, we'd mm-hmm. be in a much better position societally because especially with this whole drugs argument, I mean, the idea of cannabis for medic is a medication and medicinal consumption will be dealt with on literally sentence one of the, the, the tome encyclopedia that be written for from this, because the idea of keeping something from somebody is just wrong. Unless that thing is universally recognized as wrong. Like, you know, mm-hmm. collectively there was no circumstance where rape is, you know, lawful. We all then mm-hmm. recognize that then rape is a bad thing. That is wrong. Whereas then drugs are only being made to be a bad thing because of the proliferal harms that are generated predominantly from its prohibition, not from the substances mm-hmm. themselves. And that's what creates that like for moralizing. And so then, that's uh, one do you know, yeah, it's, it's shocking as hell. I know, I know she won't mind me speaking about this. Um there's somebody I know, she, her mental health, she dips up and down. She's cured. Well, I won't say cured. I hate that word. She, her MS is no longer a problem. She's stopped having seizures because she's this cannabis. Um, and, you know, she's, her mental health is declining because, you know, the NHS are saying, oh, well, you never had MS in the first place. She did. She had MS, right? Um Loads of things. She's obviously using the cannabis. Our psychiatrist had an appointment with him. He was actually really good. And he wrote down that, you know, her mental health problems are stemming from her not receiving an NHS prescription for her cannabis. And that if she was to receive an NHS prescription, these episodes would probably just not happen. See, that's, yeah. That's an anecdote that is going to be repeated time and time again across this land because... We know, or we're starting to understand. I can't remember whose fucking book it is. It's up there somewhere. This book, Stress of Life, really Stress good book. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically explaining stress is the mechanism uh, for, for illness. The stress, obviously, stress creates infl- inflammation in the body. It creates cortisol levels to, to spike and increase uh, other hormonal and neurochemical reactions in the brain and in the body. And this is from, from consciousness. So obviously, yeah, then stressing individuals that are already a few steps down this path is going to ensure their continuation, if not their acceleration, down this path. And that stress neurologically then starts to form and manifest within the body. Obviously, it's very new age to say, oh, you carry your tension in your muscles and whatever. <laughs> we're start, no, we're starting to understand that you, you do, that and thoughts almost carry energetic mass and this mass then it stores within the body you see it within people that physically literally carry trauma you know people that never seek therapy over, over a lifetime but then if and forever get bitter and the body starts to to what's the word uh i don't want to say deform but like you know they're hunching muscles the groups mm-hmm. they get tight and it physically starts to manifest within within the body so it's knowing knowing this mechanism all we're ever doing then is creating more illness by the worsening of the access through the NHS system. So there's people exactly. now that are entirely opted out of the NHS. So that means they're losing huge data sets. So all these private clinics and all these other, you know, privately invested uh, investment vessels that are accruing this metadata to make, you know, decisions about product development and uh, legislative changes and lobbying, et cetera, 
that they've got all of this fucking power. Yet the NHS, every time they see somebody and they say, oh, I use can- oh, druggy cannabis, that's the problem for your mental health, that's the reason you've got depression. I went through, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went through 20 plus years of this with them. 20, I'm still going through with them right now that I am a drug user. I'm not. I'm just fucking way ahead of you guys. So, yeah, I've used MDMA, DMT. I've used psilocybin. I use LSD and, and cannabis. And I've I've utilized these things to better my health, to better my understanding of myself, to, you know, do the shadow work, as Carl Jung would say. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm demonized and I'm considered the same as an intravenous drug user, that I'm somebody that is seeking a high, that I'm someone that is a danger or a threat. And actually, I, I retract the start of that set sentence. That was too all encapsulating. I didn't mean that. I mean, it's all intravenous drug users. I mean, think of your worst example of your cliched Western media heroin addict, that depiction. That's what I feel personally, a lot of these uh, healthcare professionals carry as an opinion of cannabis consumers. A druggie yeah. is a druggie yeah. is a druggie in their mind and they can't get past that. So no matter yeah. what you present to them, it's irrelevant. They've already made up their mind. It is cannabis. Job done. Stop. Are you going to stop cannabis? No, then we're going to stop treatment. Yeah, it's, that is... it's, an absurd, it's an absurdity. Can you imagine? It's like, so you've got to imagine going in literally with your guts hanging out and you're holding your guts in. And they say, oh, you're yourself medicating with that. If you, no, no, you've got to let go. If you let go, then we'll help you. And not if you, you know what I mean? That's what it is. You're holding yourself together. You have found something that works. I don't care what the fuck it is. If it's jogging two hours a day at 4 a.m. in the morning, good on you, pal. That's not me. If it's heroin, if it's crack, if it's cannabis, if it's coffee, if it's food, if it's sex, if it's walks on the beach, if it's butterfree, you know, you're collecting, you pin the little the dead butterfree, or stamp collecting, whatever the hell your thing is, <laughs> it's your thing, and you should be entitled and free to do it, and there should be no judgment at all within this. Yes, when there's consequences yeah. to others, there should be intervention. If your hobby, your interest, your need, your self-medicating then starts to harm others around you, yeah, there should be intervention, but it shouldn't fucking be with a big red battering ram through your front door and a bunch of screaming oh, armed gorgeous. individuals to drag you off into a cage. And that's yep. what most people face these days. The number of patients that I speak to that are terrified to grow their own because of the the, the fear of that. They're terrified of the cops coming through their door and even thinking about it, I've, it like washes them white. Like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? That that intimidation, the power that that system holds over them. And so what? They're supposed to legally die or legally live in pain than illegally find something that gives them a better quality of life? And even yeah. then, it, it, the joke of it is as well, it benefits society. If that person has a better quality of life, they can have a job, they can pay taxes. And I'm not saying that's the end all and be all, but they can also spend money into the system. They can have relationships. They can do things. They can create art. They can be themselves. And that is the single most valuable thing that a fucking person can be. And you are not yourself if you are stuck in this cage of rage and pain mm-hmm. and, and self-loathing that you dare, you criminal, you druggy. How dare you treat your own trauma and pain? That's what it feels like when these fuckers are judging us and making these these hypocritical stances against us. When what would they do? Prescribe us a fucking drug that'll get us high. What do you exactly. think? What do you think all of these yeah. pharmaceutical drugs do? You are high. Every single one of them is a form and of fucking stones. And they're addictive. Very Argu- addictive. Arguably, a lot more than than cannabis. Than so-called street drugs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Even things that you look at, I mean, it's arguable, even in the World Health Organization's own uh, statistical breakdown of this, there is barely a point or two in percentage between what is considered the dependency, uh, statistical estimated dependency rate of heroin and tobacco users. 
Yeah, yeah. Look at the way that we deal with them in society. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. and, even, and even now, as I've said, like part of me wants to fight against this this tobacco ban and shit because you're demonizing and stressing a group of core people that frankly might never ever be able to quit this drug but you're going to make it more expensive for them for the till now until they die you're going to demonize them further force them out into places that are beyond you know now it's not even just it's not outside of hospitals beyond the boundaries of a hospital there's now town centers that are seeking to become smoke free and it's like, what the fuck is even any of this based on? It's based on corrupted science, quite a lot of it, frankly. That actually, if you look at the, the secondhand smoke studies that were then produced, I'm not going to get too much of contention with this. There is a guy I would like to get on as a guest for this, because again, I want to fight for smoking rights, because that's how I consume my cannabis. Even if I've got a script, even if I've got whatever, it doesn't matter, I'm going to smoke it. Vaporization does not work for me. Vaporization, to me, only gives me a THC high gives me a headache. It doesn't give me a full-bodied body feeling of relief. It doesn't mm-hmm. gradually take me up to a place of levity and joy and lifting a feeling my shoulders lift and the weight go off my shoulders, feeling the world slightly closing up my brain so I can calculate and look at my own thoughts one at a time when I can articulate what it is that I want to say rather than just stuttering and stammering and trying to get this rageful gibberish out of my mouth. <laughs> you know, and that's, yeah. that's what I want to fight for with this because ultimately, if we're then going to argue now that some alcohol consumption can be medicinal, then why the fuck can't the combustion of cannabis be medicinal? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. I know, I know, I know. It's just, oh. Yeah, I mean, obviously not, not, not for, uh, for, for Murray at this point. <laughs> that's not yeah. what I'm, I'm advocating. But again, it's horses for courses. It's, we need that broad, like, full spectrum of of legislation to protect all of us because if we draw arbitrary lines others are going to get left out the side of this and one of the things that i think some of your peers like hannah and hannah deacon and others are starting to realize is their children age towards adolescence uh, sorry to, to adulthood through adolescence that they're going to fall out of the same protections that they had that there's going to need to be further legislative change further campaigning the framework we have now is very limited, very fragile. It's a house of cards, and it's built on... I don't even know what it's built on. The foundation of this, even... I've, I've lived through this. We worked through this, and we saw how this happened with the various campaigns involving Moore and Charlotte Caldwell on one side and Hannah and Mike on the other and the creation of various documents and papers and, obviously, the EPA campaigning groups and all of the... We know the chronology of the events. Yeah, I still mm-hmm. can't tell you how the hell we ended up with this bastardized system of access. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I think children were used. Children were used a few years ago, my child being one of them. Um, yeah, now it doesn't really matter so much. You know, now that, they're, now that they're here and they've got all these patients, they're not really caring very much if they can't send you a prescription to you on time and stuff because you don't matter anymore. Your child doesn't matter, you know, because your child's done that job for them. You just become another number. And this is what I feel is worrying yeah. again if we look at, I'm not claiming this. Uh, I wish I, somebody suggested that I get a big alleged sign to put up behind me so I can press a button that flashes up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you can, you can see why then. Um, oh, I just lost my train of thought. Came on, rewind. I do that all the time. Yeah. Big sign behind uh, you. Yeah, allegedly. I can't remember what I was going to say allegedly about. Um, <laughs> Damn it, a green flashing sign. <laughs> needs to happen, needs to happen. Uh, come on, Brain, get back to it, get back to it. It's around here somewhere. 
What was your last comment, if you can remember? I basically said that I feel like our children have been used to get the private clinics in. And now... Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it now feels that because they've started the ball rolling, uh, yeah, for my own protection, I guess, rather than anything else, I'm not going to name the individual or the organisation where I was sat to see this stated. But somebody stood up and basically went that they project the entire prescription industry in the UK to have uh, about 300,000 plus thousand people onboarded by uh, 2025. So it sounds horrible. It's not my words, but it's how I interpret the situation. Why the hell would they then care about the few hundred thousand, a few hundred thousand that got signed up now if they're looking at a projection of 300 plus thousand? If they're in this for the money, because again, if they were actually in it for the people, rather than trying to sign on new people now, they would make sure the people they've got signed up actually have what they need, what they want. It's not just them going, I'll use the pot, or them just scraping enough by and doing cobbling together again another existence. The point of this was supposed to be that we changed the law so that everybody got what they needed. Not that, not that an industry was created to sell products. Obviously, there will always be yeah. sales, but yeah. That's exactly what's happened, you know? An in- industry has been created to sell cannabis. Yeah. And people have been used along the line, haven't they? To make that happen for the people that are actually making money off it now. It's weird. Yeah. They drew the boundaries around the industry and not the patient. So mm-hmm. the, 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 it almost feels like, yeah. So actually, they were in these meetings when they were in these chambers behind closed doors at Westminster that we activists weren't allowed to, yet we were still stood out in the cold fighting for what we believed was the right to grow your own and self identification. I think behind those closed doors, yeah, the conversations were more had about not what can be done for the patient, how many people can be helped, but how many consumers can be created, how much market share can be generated, how a new monopoly and conglomerate and through conglomerate and new monopolies can be created through conglomeratization. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think yeah. from that, we're starting to see that because everyone that invested into each other, if you look at the average class, the average color and the even ge- average geographical location and schooling history of people invested in UK cannabis, they are mm-hmm. a very, very, very small bunch of people. And they're the main ones that are, again, as we said, are are profiting from this. And they don't care about the anecdotes of the patient. They don't care about the feedback of us other than as a proof of concept for their model. Do the patients get a good response? You know, I mean, you've even seen this in some of the patient feedback forms that I've seen. They're written in a way that is quite difficult to present a negative outcome with with the product that isn't, cannabis mm-hmm. so their feedbacks are like oh negative experiences and your negative experience is about cannabis not about their service or their product do you know yeah. what i mean so this this uh, yeah so again so that's mm-hmm. to me again entirely my hot take th- that then would create a data set of people that then would go well i don't want to say the cannabis is bad so okay so it helps fudge the data more towards positive patient feedbacks and then when you have a positive patient feedback you can then take that to investors or to regulators or to whoever and that then shows your continual, you know, growth and development within the industry. Mm-hmm. I don't think they want true, honest feedback because, again, most people don't want to give honest feedback. They can't. They feel fearful to then tell their clinician, "Oh yeah, I smoked that last batch." They don't know if they're going to get the script removed. They don't know. I, mean, I don't yeah. know. We don't. We don't know what the law is. We don't know if they're then going to ring the cops and go, "They, they made a Schedule Two drug, a Schedule One by smoking it. Will you? Will you go deal with them?" we have yet have no idea we are so in the dark about this and this is one of the terrifying things because like i said the majority of 
I suppose my peers, as it were, people that came from the cannabis uh, legacy community that have then moved into scripts. They are very disappointed with the product and the services, but they are very happy with the legal protection that little pot gives them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. Uh, yeah, I know. Like, I know because I know a few, like, even for us, like with Intractable, it's, you know, I did see, see a comment on somebody saying, well, you know, why, why are you basically paying for the private companies, right? And I, I know I can see, I can see your point, but the thing is, like some, like some of us need help. Some of the kids like Murray, you know, the, the families that can't fundraise, they need help and they need help now. And that is the only way, that is the only way we're going to do it. Yeah. You know, but there is a, I can see people's point of views, you know. Someone People needs- like, like, yeah. So I was just going to say, someone needs to set up almost, say if there was a charity that just emerged in the UK, you know, that be brilliant if they could almost hybridise a version of CanCard and a prescription and almost sell pots. Imagine this is a service, not even pots, glass jars, folks, because plastic is shite. <laughs> terpenes in plastic pots. Here's a public service announcement for you. Uh, terpenes are solvents, guys. That's why when you're playing around with your plants in your garden and you, you're the budding and your skin gets irritable and whatever, that's the solvent nature of the terpenes when you're rubbing against uh, the trichomes. So those solvent nature of that degrades the plastics. All plastics break down biologically. They break down the components within them. Quite a lot of the products, and shout out to some of the clinics, I will give them this. Their products, that they are, <laughs> the plastics they are providing are coming from BPA and BPZ free sources. These are endocrine-disrupting chemicals that are incredibly bad when they get into the human body, and they're mm-hmm. forever leaching into our system uh, through various plastic byproducts. Uh, so, yeah, glass is where you want it, folks, especially for curing as well. We all know glass is, is king. But, yeah, imagine if you could sell a little jar that then meant that anything somebody put in that authorized them as a patient, and you sold that jar or whatever amount, and all of that money was then put into the pockets of people like yourselves that could then fund directly pay for... Um, all of the access that your children need because yeah mm-hmm. you, you guys are always gonna need the higher thing whereas in the consistency this the continuity of the compound the, uh, the compound the composition of the compound that matters most with with uh bedrolite with these 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 oils that's what seems to be working is that it is the continuity and consistency of the product is giving that that continuity of care uh, over mm-hmm. a long period of time but a lot of people like myself, you know, I pay for that pot and be able to put whatever I want in it because then I already am self-medicating. I'm not a medical cannabis patient because I don't believe in the paradigm, but I use cannabis medicinally to aid in my day-to-day life. And I would mm-hmm. love to be able to pay into a system like that. I think there almost needs to be a way of tapping into the, you know, the millions of sales of cannabis that happens every day in this country. <laughs> <laughs> there's, in, there's in more than enough money within the cannabis industry and legacy community. It's just, I think about figuring out ways to get it connected legitimately yeah because no who who can't hear the story of of an epileptic child that went through everything that murray went through in terms of all of the prior interventions that then gets an oil effectively very crudely uh in terms of my analysis here broken down from a plant that could grow basically anywhere then how would they not want to support that do do you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's it's not rocket science as far as I'm concerned. It's not something controversial. It's especially the cannabis community themselves. They, they know this shit. They live this shit. Yeah, it's infuriating because, I mean, even like with, our, with our doctor, I said, you know, you, you, you legally you can prescribe it for us and you're just as well to because he's going to get it regardless if you prescribe it or not. He's going to get it. Mm-hmm. So you could just prescribe it, which would take the sort of financial stress off us. 
but no. <laughs> so it must, it's then bureaucracy within the trusts because then obviously they'd be liable for the payment. They wouldn't then be able to negotiate a lower price. The, the clinic would charge the NHS trust the same amount for that product. And obviously uh, prescriptions, I don't know what they are in Scotland, but I think in England at the minute, they're still just less than a tenner. We don't pay for prescriptions. And the horrible thing is I know how much the NHS is paying for the two, two prescriptions of the same oil that Murray's getting and other kids are getting. And it's a lot more than we're paying. The NHS are paying a lot more for that for those two kids than what we are paying, you know? So they can't even argue that because for, for Murray, you would be paying less than for child B. Do you know what I mean? So, so it is quite there's, bad. There's got to be a way to exploit. So how does the system work here? The system says that you need a prescriber and then you mm -hmm. need a licensed dispenser. Mm -hmm. So there's got to be somebody within the system that is seeing how shit it is. This is a shout out to anybody out there that may, may interact with this. Uh, if you were involved in the system and you're a bit pissed off with it, here's a concept for you. Going into private for yourself. If you can partner with, if you can be a prescriber, if you can get the authorization to be able to prescribe, to get summary of care notes from local trust, to be able to move through that system, to then be able to sign prescriptions, why can't we have a new hybrid form of a clinic? Yeah. That, that reduces the, the costs in different ways, that, that in some way subsidizes. I mean, obviously, this is part of what Sapphire was supposed to be in terms of the Sapphire Trust or whatever it is in the Sapphire Clinics, was there was supposed to be an, an, an arm of a slightly separate but sister business that brings in income from other means to supplement access via its clinics. Mm -hmm. But again, it's the pricing that they're, they're paying versus what these products are worth, it's... If, if you've seen the industry, if you understand it, you, you can see how much of a ripoff this is. You know, everybody at every point has got their hands out making money on this before it even touches fucking Murray's hands. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's an absurdity how many people uh, are making money from this as an industry, industry in terms of regulation, marketing, advertising, legal, lobbying, um, you know what I mean? Events management, everything. There are so many proliferal industries that are getting rich off this air quotes medical cannabis paradigm that they're creating for themselves. Um, exactly. And it's all stemmed from a small group of epileptic children. And, you know? Yeah. It makes me sick. It's like that's why I said like our children have been used. Our children have been used and they have. And they haven't been by people that should have known better. Ah, exactly. Exactly. Well we just have to keep pressing on. Mm. Pressing on with it, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, obviously, uh, this might get a bit con controversial as a topic. <laughs> I, think, I think it's something we may have touched on actually previously um, on the recording when we did episode 33. Um, do you think, obviously, with Nicola Sturgeon's sort of rhetoric recently and the potential move towards an Indie Ref 2, do you think an independent Scotland would be a better or worse potential future uh, for access? I I think that, um, I, I hope, I hope that if we got our Scottish independence, they would completely decriminalise cannabis. I would hope that they would do that. I think they would do that. All the SNP, you know, they, was, they were unanim unanimously, I can't say the word, decided in 2016 or something that that's one thing they would do. They would legalise cannabis. So you've got to hope that they would. But as far as the prescription sides go, I don't think that will change. I don't think that that would change. I don't think Murray is going to get his oil for free in an independent Scotland. I don't. I think they could legalise cannabis, which is 
brilliant. It's what we all want, but that won't help Murray and the other kids that are that need prescriptions. Because if we don't have prescriptions, social services will come in. They'll threaten to take our kids into care, and they will threaten to arrest us. You know, if we are giving them illegal yeah. oil, and I can say that that I know that this has actually happened to somebody. It's happened to somebody recently. Right. Um, I don't think I should say very much on it, but it has deeply affected me because that was my worst fear back in, like, whenever I was bringing it in from Holland, that was my worst fear. I'm saying, we're taking this off you, you're getting arrested and your child's getting put in care because we think you're harming your child. And that is, that is actually happening to somebody now. Constant, and what the concept you know, and that, that they think that you're harming your child is so when you're not, Jesus it's, Christ, you're trying to help your child. Like, what the hell? Who would harm their child? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's just shocking because obviously there's only one pediatric neurologist prescribing and he's closed his books. So, what are people supposed to do? Are they supposed to just, you know, they know the cannabis oil is going to help, they can't get it legally, they can't. So, you're going to get it illegally where there's hundreds of people making you know, really, really good oils. Either yeah. some dodgy people out there, but quite a lot of them are making really good oil and they're, they're getting kids seizure-free. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. just horrible. Horrible. I mean, horrible. the only upside that I could see to that potential is Scots are like, Scots are like Northerners. They seem hearty. They <laughs> may sound a bit rough around the edges, but we're full of love and compassion. Oh, you still there? Oh, hang on a second. Sorry. It's important. No um, my phone's running out of charge, so I've had headphones out. But when I take my headphones out, I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> so let me see. I've got 10%. It's fine. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I'll a couple more questions quickly wrap up. We'll be all right. All right. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> uh, so I was just going to say, like, Scots are like Northerners, you know, we're, we're painted as being, you know, very rough around the edges, very sort of crude, rude and, and aggressive, but we're, we're very lovely and compassionate people. So I'd like to think that in a system like that, people would set up a discompensation system in the same way that like the Dutch did for a while, or like uh, Chris Baldwin and that did with their projects in the UK with their coffee shops in that medicinal consumers got cheaper access. Um, so mm -hmm. I think that then in a way that you could use the sale of cannabis to then use profits from that in a lawful system to do whatever the fuck you want with. And I imagine there'd be quite a lot of people would definitely want to supplement uh, access like pe to people like yourself. I mean, it's frustrating that under the current system, a lot of people can't or won't because they can't legitimize their cash. Do you know what I mean? Like I said, mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of people in the community that have money from what they do, but they are not bad people, but they are criminalized and any attempt to legitimize that money puts them into further criminal conspiracies and, you know, paints them as really bad people. When at the end of the day, they just want to use their money for good causes. You see it quite often with UK events have had their money rejected from charities, for example, where people have fundraised, fundraised at cannabis events and then gone to give that money to charities and the charities have then sort of refused it because of this, this tainted association to criminality, which is... We, by the way, our charity will not refuse any money. To pay for cannabis. <laughs> so how prescriptions. Can, yeah, so how can uh, how can people help uh, Intractable? How can they donate? Do you have sort of PayPal and other systems? We've got PayPal. We've got a bank account. We've actually got a QR code. Um, we're doing things like if you sign up to if you shop on Amazon, you can go into Amazon Smile and add our Intractable Epilepsy Charity. And so any sort of thing you make, you'll get profits from Amazon. Um, load, loads of different ways of you know, doing it, we're actually approaching football clubs and things now and trying to get, 
like quite a lot. Obviously, we need quite a lot of money. You know, we don't. Whenever we want to help people, we want to be able to help them for our, at least a year. You know, we don't want to have to. We need we need that money. We need to make sure we've got that money so we can totally commit to help him. Um. So yeah. So yeah. We're just basically trying to get all the funding up. First of all, we got our. We had to wait to get our charity number before we could do this as well, and that obviously held things up. So we've got that now. So we're just progressing ahead with it. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, I'll look at my notes, see if there's any quick uh, questions to grab before your phone dies. <laughs> um, I think we've covered actually the majority of these, these topics. We kind of looped around. I suppose actually, what would um, what would your ideal model or solution be to sort of the situation? If Nicola Sturgeon rang you tomorrow and went, I'm fucking done with this. What do you need? <laughs> tell, tell, tell me and we'll do it tomorrow. What What would you kind of push for? I think, you know, like they, they want trials, so why not just give us an observational trial? All the children that are on the oil, um, pay, you know, re reimburse us, you know, pay our invoices and, you know, collect all the data. You know, it's, 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 it's information that they're going to need because at some point they are going to be prescribing cannabis, mm -hmm. you know, so why not just jump on board now, get all the data, you know, learn about it so... That's what I would like. I would like. I know in Ireland they've got a system where they get their their invoice. You know, they get their invoices paid for them, and that's what they should do here. That's the only right and humane and decent thing to do for our children. Yeah. You know, definitely. No, I like I like that. Uh, I think in Ireland it's been a while since I checked in because I've kind of been out of the the loop for a while. But I know when the system first was getting it to its feet. Um, very, very few people qualified for its really quite stringent and obfuscated uh, rules and regulations and restrictions that they kind of built into it, which I think is the nature of these things when they first come on board. Um, but I, I am seeking uh, an update in Ireland at some point uh, quite soon for a guest, so uh, keep your ears and uh, eyes open for that one, folks. Um, have you, as a charity now, potentially then you can look at uh, partnering with universities? They have slush funds for certain uh, accru accruing of, let's call it controversial social data. So when I was down, oh. I was I was paid uh, to go to Essex, Essex, no, the other one, Exeter University, quite a dif distance between those two places, um, to go down and give a presentation with a couple of others a few years ago. Uh, to a room full of academics from around the world about cannabis and just to talk about it. And one of the women approaches afterwards basically went that well, they are dying to study cannabis, but they can't lawfully gain access to it. Um, but through observations, they could get uh, dis discretion from police forces to basically know that certain drug populations and to study them without then having to give that data over and, and whatever else. And we're also mentioning that they obviously get funding for this. So potentially it may be worth looking at some of the universities to see if they could help do it because then they're not paying for the product. What they'd do is they'd pay you for your time as a study participant. What you do with that money is your cause. Yeah, and we can actually do that as a charity. So thanks. That's actually a really good idea. It's worth it's oh, worth looking, looking at. at that. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, some Scottish universities have great heritage um of, of academia in, in terms of really putting some shit together um and as an independent scotland rise i think they would be interested because obviously nationalism in scotland now isn't i'd say as controversial uh, as it has been for for a while you know the scottish identity is stronger than ever um and i think that then yeah being able to frame this and get somebody who has that interest and has the foresight to see the future to understand that getting in now 
because in, in 10 years, 20 years, all universities are going to be doing canister degrees, drug degrees, horticultural, mm-hmm. botanical cultivation, all of the nuanced aspects of this will be like prohibition degrees and all sorts. So exactly that, why not get on now? All you need to do is find a cut of academics that bit rebellious, you know, I've got tenure and are quite happy to support someone like yourself. Because, I mean, as I said before, who can hear this story and not want to support you? So it's, it's yeah. Every, everybody apart from the NHS, it seems, <laughs> or the government. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think this is why we need to then, as a community, start to name and shame. I think it's time we find out who runs various trusts and we go to guerrilla tactics. We start to unpin this bureaucracy and we start to expose the individuals because it is a handful of people behind red tape and no no let's call these fuckers out that's what needs to happen right now it's it's not a monolith of the government anymore or a monolith of any one institution look at the police force the average cop i bump into nowadays does not give a shit about drugs if they catch you with drugs like shit damn Mm. you know i mean it's it's a a hindrance to them it's not what they're seeking to do with their role so i think the same is true it's transferable so i mean hopefully Somebody within these systems will will see what's happening, and as I said, as Scotland and again showing my prejudicial politics moves towards independence, I am a pro for the dissolution of the entire kingdom <laughs> to expose my politics. There, folks, I'm actually pro northern <laughs> independence as well, um, but that's a very different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I'm, I'm only pro Scottish independence because of the Tories. If the Tories weren't in power, I'd be quite happy for the union. To be honest, you may, um, I, th- but- I think it's the best way to get the actual devolved power i think is through devolution maybe the kingdom could come back together in the future but i think more than ever here's a much more controversial stance i think we're looking closer towards a unified island further than we have ever before um i think wales on the back of you guys are really starting to be like now we 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 deserve to get off this both of you guys (laughs) are natural resource rich you have incredibly an incredibly strong worth work ethic a strong national identity same as again, like I said, with the Northerners or the Scousers. So I, I want to see this whole thing just evolved. And if little England in the South wants Tory rule in the flags of the Queen, let them have that bullshit. The rest of us can get back to living life and actually yeah. <laughs> enjoying being alive, you know? Yeah. Okay, so um, final point then, because I'm aware of uh, obviously your battery time. Uh, yeah. where, where can people find you? Where can they support? What website links, etc.? cetera? Um, www.intractable.org.uk. That's our website. We're on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Yeah. Excellent. That's You're about that. everywhere. Uh, if you wouldn't mind then <laughs> including uh, a QR code. Uh, yeah, I'll like, send that, it just, to you. Just send all the links to us because I'm going to edit this and uh, get this out, well, in the next hour or two. So, uh, yeah. All right. Wow. Perfect. Okay. Say, hour or two. It's going to be a couple of hours because my YouTube yeah. rendering takes forever. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry if you are now starting to sit down and watch this, folks, and it's about 10 o'clock. I blame YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, um, you too. Lovely to speak to you. Yes, for sure. Uh, I'm up in Scotland, actually, doing my road trip before too long. Uh, next week, I think. I've been saying next week for about three weeks. I'm aware of that, folks. Um, but I am looking to get up there, uh, like I said, next week. So I'll Let you, me know. I'll Let me know when you come up and I'll Bye. meet up. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, uh, Karen Gray, for being a guest this week. Uh, folks, if you've enjoyed uh, this episode or any episode or anything that I do, please do check us out on patreon.com forward slash the simple life where you can help me keep the lights on on this project of mine. And there goes Karen's phone, bless her. Uh, <laughs> hey, timed that well. That's that's good timing. Yeah. Development of skill set with this. Um, but yeah, if you've enjoyed this, folks, please do follow us on all social media platforms at the simple life. I will be back next week with. 
Roger Boyd, I believe, uh, aka the Healthy Stoner, a man who decided to ride his bicycle around the world uh, while getting high. So, yeah, very much looking forward to conversation with him. We've got some incredible guests potentially lined up over the next few weeks, and we're for a few confirmations via email, as well as uh, this heavy hitter in psychedelic research, who I am very excited to get on the podcast. So, yeah, uh, please like, share, subscribe, all that good shit. Uh, help me get a thousand subs on youtube so if you don't already give us, a, give us a little sub give us a share nudge your mate that's sat in there watching it to uh, go on his phone and uh give us a little sub as well it all helps all right peace and love folks i'll see you next week